five, four, three, two, one. Go. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin yeah, DMA and the International on. Society for Strategic Marketing. Whoa, we got, you can't miss this one today. This one explains, oh, explains the thin ice that the Justice Department is walking on for the, for the, the just announced Google antitrust action. Okay, but we're not going to start there. We're going to start with uh, Class Olson, Dolly's Daily Adventures. And this is, again, from my friend Ask Davich uh, on Adland.tv, one of the best TV repositories in the world. And she gives us perspective on, on marketing in other countries. And oftentimes their commercials are much more story-like and much more fun, I would say. And so here's a fun little ad, and it's kind of a Groundhog Day moment. So here it goes, and watch this. This is fun. And I like, too, that the dad is fixing it because I had three daughters and the dad was always fixing stuff that the daughters were were breaking, was falling apart. It wasn't necessarily the daughter's fault. So that was a cute commercial. And I just wanted to give you a taste of Sweden. From Brand United, what is the average MarTech stack? And, you know, MarTech, uh, you know, tracking technology. You know, a lot of my clients will use Google and they'll use other uh, fairly inexpensive things. And uh, keep it pretty simple. And that seems to be backed up by this, this study. More than 90% report using 10 or fewer tools. The other thing was that most spend less than 100000 a year. Now, uh, we do machine learning, and we, you know, that's kind of where we, where we like to start. Not that you couldn't, it couldn't be more. But, um, oops, got to click up here to get to the graph. Okay, so here's the first graph, and graph, and here's the second graph, and uh, but you know there's a cost, you know in in what we do is we pull the names for pretty big mailers, and um, when we started working with machine with uh, with a musician's friend, they said you're so much less expensive. We were charging them about twenty five, twenty seven grand a month, something like that. So it was you know, quite a bit, but they're mailing quite a bit. And uh, they said, you're so much less expensive than what we were paying the IT department to do the list polls every month. They were taking two weeks and had two people on it. And your results are better. So, um, I, you know, I don't consider what we do MarTech per se. I consider it um, an enhancement of your existing 
whatever methodology you're using, you know, segment customer segmentation. And so it can be a pretty good value even at uh, more expensive. And you can't just build a you can't just build a machine learning AI department for that kind of money, you know. And so there tends to be this binary world where people are either doing nothing or they're trying to spend millions and hire lots of data scientists. So I thought that was an interesting article. Okay, but the big news this week is that the U.S. government uh, has uh, opened a lawsuit against Google's alleged uh, uh, monopoly position, antitrust actions. And Google is pretty open about buying small competitors and buying YouTube. And, um, you know, they, they it was all out in the open. And they were allowed to do it, which is a little bit hard because, you know, they're allowed to do it. The Justice Department says, yeah, that's okay. Um, you know, okay, so it's okay. Now, all of a sudden, it's not okay. And it's a little hard to, you know, it's always a little hard because on the surface of it, it looks like they uh, are limiting competition. They pay Apple something just shy of $10 billion a year to be the primary browser on the iPhone and on Safari. and uh, But let's go over to Mark Ritson, always the best to listen to. And I wanted to wait. I waited till a number of these things came out so I could have a better perspective on what the real issues are. Uh, to win the legal battle, Google must show who its competition really is. And I thought this was... As usual, this was very profound. Um, Ritson always makes me think. Um, in spite of the fact that you know Google's been targeted by the EU for years, um, it's going to be a landmark case. And Ritson says this is the biggest uh, marketing, the biggest landmark case for marketers ever. Okay, because it really does affect how we do a lot of what we do. Um, no matter what. Everybody thinks about the EU or some other place. Really, the only place you can bring Google to heel is in the United States. Uh, that's the way they uh, assess it. And uh, when the EU fined them $4 billion or something, uh, the stock went up. <laughs> because they said, oh, is that all? Okay, we, can... we got that in the cash drawer right here. That was kind of the issue. And uh, so, so now the U.S. government is after it. And um, and many believe that this is not just about Google. This is the first of several where uh, they they may go after Amazon and they may go after Facebook. And uh, most of you have never heard of the of the uh, of the Bell case. Bell Telephone controlled the U.S. Not entirely. There were little phone companies around the country, you know, in rural areas and th- in things, and they could charge. Uh, there was one not far from here just south of here and and you could call them up and you might pay two dollars a minute in long distance even though you could almost walk there and you had to be really careful (laughs) especially on your cell phone um not you know because i had friends who lived in wales and it's just down the street uh literally so anyway in 1984 the baby bells got broken up and many people believe that that was a kickoff to the massive innovation in phone technology and which led ultimately to the internet and so now they're saying that Google should be forced to split out its search engine 
from its advertising business and perhaps divest other operations like Gmail and YouTube, right? And Facebook might have to break up Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp. And people have been wondering why Mark Zuckerberg's been promoting this internal operating system of different platforms being combined so inextricably. It's a little bit like Microsoft claiming that that Internet Explorer was inextricably bound into the Windows operating system. It was part of the main core software and couldn't just be pried out. And, you know, that... I mean that ha- that did kind of kill uh, <laughs> kill <laughs> Internet Explorer all the fighting about it I guess but really according to Ritson that's Facebook's attempt to obstruct any future attempt to force Facebook's constituent brands apart now here's the basic case two key arguments one is to prove that Google is the is the, is dominant in search and that that is being portrayed protected by deals that Google strikes across all platforms and uh, gives it an impenetrable market position. Okay, that sounds like, you know, and you say, okay, that makes sense, right? And you say, okay, um, Google starts out with the default option on your iPhone and on your Safari because they pay Apple almost $10 billion. Um, and estimates give Google at least an 80% share of, of search in the United States, right? Okay, so given the standard definition of market dominance, any brand that achieves more than 40% share of its given category, the dominance point also appears evil, easily proven. But here's the puzzle, and this Mark just wrote on this a couple of weeks ago, that what is a category? You know, I I have a friend who was in meetings at Sears laughing about this little hick company in Arkansas called Walmart. And they didn't understand that Walmart, by disintermediating vendors, by working directly with manufacturers, cutting out the wholesalers, was gaining massively 15 to 30 points of gross margin. And therefore could expand dramatically and could keep a lot of inventory <laughs> and could make moves that they weren't making. And, uh, you know, and they thought it was dumpy. And today retailers laugh at the Dollar Tree in the dollar store. Um, right. We don't say search. We say Google it. Exactly. So you say, okay, it's obvious that this is that they have the market dominance. But the question is, what exactly is a category? And we run into this all the time because our clients will say, okay, I, we 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 did a proposal for Oriental Trading, and they organized their uh, their buying groups by the material that it was made out of. So they had ceramic item buyers, they had plastic item buyers, they had metal iron item buyers, and glass item buyers. And they thought that that would give them insight into what, um, into what co- consumers were buying. We did a, we did a system for uh, Comfortably Yours, um, owned, by, owned by Thompson Cigar, and their categorization was, um, you know, the size of the bed and the uh, the the thread count 
not even that. It wasn't really obvious that way. We tried really hard to find their highest quality items by their categorization, and it wasn't possible. So merchants think of categories in one sense, usually very restrictive. And uh, often it goes along with season or some other thing. But a lot of times there's a whole other set of categories that make sense. For example, at Baseball Express, when we started with them, their categorization was ball, bats, balls, gloves. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Except that the average consumer buys, especially in high school and junior high, the best players want their own bat, not provided by the school. They want their own uh, cleats, not provided by the school, and their own glove, obviously, not provided by the school. And so there's a lot of interest in high-performance gear. When they get to college, a lot of that is provided by the by the school. And before that, in Little League, not a lot, of, you know, they don't worry about it too much. So that bats, balls, gloves made a lot of sense. But then they wanted to come out with a, with a fast-pitch girls catalog. We said, are there any items that are uniquely tailored to to girls and they said well we've got a we've got a baseball helmet that has a ponytail slot and it had a you know a slot and a hole kind of and you could put it on and you know it would it wouldn't crush your ponytail against your head and we said great and they said we have some pink gloves see what's happening the categories broke down entirely pink bats and we so we used those categories to identify the girls and target you know, mainly girls, for this uh, girls' catalog. If there was any doubt, uh, we sent them the regular softball catalog because Fast Pitch was didn't never had a catalog of its own. We did the same thing in business to business. We I called them up one day and I said, uh, do you do business to business? They said, no, we're strictly consumer. And I said, well, who buys these pitching machines? Right? And they were, you know, like field items or something. I don't remember the category. They weren't bats, balls, gloves. Um, and they're like $5,000. And I, they said, oh, um, colleges and leagues and even major league teams buy from us. I said, did you ever consider that business to business? They said, no, we're strictly consumer. Well, anyway, at the time they were about $5 million in sales. And they in, in about three years, we built another division that was about, I don't know, I think it was 3 to $5 million within a, a couple of years. I encouraged them to start telecenter, a telecenter, an outbound, and maybe even some field salespeople running around to the biggest to the biggest customers. Well, what that illustrates is that the same item can be viewed differently in different categorization, and so categories are sort of a fiction, and that's and that's Mark's point. Um, categories do not actually exist, and when you ask who is the competition, he said he was in a room with with in in Japan where. Uh, People were laughing at um, coach bags. But Japanese women were starting to think, you know, I can own four coach bags for every one French designer bag, <clears throat> Gucci or something, I suppose. And and ultimately, that choice, even though coach was not considered a premium brand, it, it did compete against the premium brands. The key is asking the customer. Ask them which they're considering. He says, Cognac competes with vodka, scooters with London Underground passes, life insurance with gym memberships, and streaming services with a good night's sleep. <coughs> and you're making choices all the time, right? And when you're in a grocery store and you're hungry or a convenience store, you know, the the four-day-old 
hot dogs on the grill there <laughs> compete with a Snickers bar, right? So when you want a snack, sometimes Snickers works. So if we look at search engines, generally, Google has 80%, or specifically, against Bing, against, uh, I use DuckDuckGo mostly, but if I really want to dig deep, I use Google. I don't use Google mostly because I ask tech questions and Google will give me the last 10, 15 years. So if you ask a software question, how do I do this in X, uh, which I ask a lot, you'll get answers from 2008 or 2012 that, that have no bearing whatsoever. So Google is too good at digging up the past. And their date limiter is too hard to get to and too many clicks. So DuckDuckGo has actually gives me less and more often what I'm looking for. Um, although their date range is even worse because they only give me a choice of the last month or shorter and they need to give me the last year or two. If we look at shopping and ask where consumers are actually searching for online information for products, then it becomes really complicated. And here's the best graph in the whole article. Okay, It shows Google at just under 40%. It shows Amazon, or it shows, I think it shows Amazon first. It's a little too small to read. But it's got Google and it's got Amazon over here. See that? And... The truth is, Amazon has actually, some estimates say that Amazon has actually overtaken Google for product search. So if you're, and this happened to me yesterday, I was looking for a fry pan. I was looking for a mate, a larger size fry pan of one I got my wife and she really liked. And I always, <laughs> I always do a private search in a private browser window because Amazon will track you till the day you die practically on, a, on an item search. But once you get over that piece, then, yes, I go to I, if I want to know. Now, then I might go to eBay, see if it's a better deal, or I might go to someplace else. But I, but I often start on Amazon, especially because my kids have Prime and they can ship it fast and and free and all that stuff. So Google's share of product search, as well as all the other search engines, are declining significantly as Amazon expands. Now, Ritson doesn't point out that. You know, at the beginning of his article and at, and, and at the other article I referenced, some people think that this is just a first step. Uh, and maybe the Justice Department needs to bundle together Google, Amazon, and Facebook because <laughs> the three of them combined do. But that's not a monopoly. See, they can fight with each other, and they are. And Google can easily argue that they're losing out to Amazon on product search. So now what? And Amazon can argue that they lose out to Google on broad-based search. And I don't know the answer. But I'm just saying, your competition is not who you might think it is. It's certainly not immediate members of self-constructed myopic category. It's not even based on competitors per se. It's on who the consumer thinks. Who the consumer thinks of when they're thinking of a choice that involves you. And that's the battleground. And that's the miracle of capitalism, because we have a lot of competition. And there's always some new company perking its head up that's doing it better. I'm John Miglosh. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart.